action. Welcome to Torn Stubs with me, photographer Robert Gershenson and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. This is our second Torn Stubs recommend special where we'll be running down some movie suggestions and it's our second Pride special for Pride season. So let's roll the first reel. Joshua, what's your first recommendation? My first recommendation is a Canadian drama called Closet Monster from 2015. Have you heard of this one? It's on... It's on my list on one of the streaming services, either Netflix or Amazon or maybe both. Yeah, it was on Prime and then it came off about a month ago and now suddenly it's back on again, presumably because it's Pride Month. So yes. they were like, oh shit, we better put this back on there. We better pay um, some more money for it. Yeah, it's a, it kind of mixes in elements of body horror and it's about this guy called Oscar. He is an 18 year old uh, living in somewhere in america uh, somewhere in canada i'm not entirely sure where it's kind of nondescript canada i think um and he is like a wannabe special effects guy he loves doing movie effects um and he is also gay like he's kind of hasn't come out to anybody you get the sense that he kind of knows he's gay but he hasn't really spoken like verbalized it with anybody but to himself he's accepted it no it's it's like i think it's like how a lot of I mean, I kind of was like that as a teenager where you don't really have that big aha moment. It's yeah. just kind of it's almost gradual. an accepted, but it's almost like an accepted reality of what you think you like Yeah. without really labeling it or having to talk about it particularly because you're mm. still just kind of processing it internally. So that's kind of the state that Oscar is in. And it's just about him coming, I guess, coming to terms with his feelings about being gay um, but there's also this lingering trauma that he has where when he was eight years old, he witnessed a, a really violent, awful, homophobic attack in a graveyard, um, which left this kid, um, I think, paralyzed, possibly dead. I can't remember exactly. I think he's paralyzed, but it's like a really horrible, brutal attack. And that means that Oscar now has these uh, odd body issues um, which kind of flare up in really spectacularly horrible ways in the film. Is it in English? Yeah, yeah, it's in English. Oh, so it's not French-Canadian? Yeah. It's not uh, It's not like, no. like Xavier Dolan? No, it's not. But it does share a connection with that, which I'll get into in a minute. Oh. Um, but yeah, so there, there's a moment that uh, Oscar is totally in love with this guy at work, who more like infatuated with him. And he goes off to the work toilet to kind of see to himself in a cubicle. Um, and All right, Grandma. Just as he, <laughs> yeah, I know. And just as he's like getting really into it, he looks down and instead of seeing his cock, he sees um, like a metal, a bloody metal bar coming out of him, which is basically like the weapon that was used during this attack that he witnessed as a child. So it's quite it surreal. freaks him out. Yeah, there's some real surreal flourishes in it. It's like, it's so completely unique. I've never seen anything quite like it. Um, like it's a gay body horror, essentially, but but not like an all out the fly style body horror. It's like a, a real drama version of a body horror film. Am I right in thinking Isabella Rossellini is in it? Isabella Rossellini is in it. Um, she plays the voice of Oscar's pet hamster, 
called Buffy. <laughs> Um, <laughs> which isn't the only reason I love this film, but I am a huge Buffy fan. So when I found out he had a, a hamster called Buffy, I was like, I'm so in for this ride. <laughs> she doesn't do as much as I think she should be doing. She's always phenomenal. No. I've never seen her give a shit performance. Like even when she was in that, um, like I was rewatching Friends for like the billionth time recently. And she's in that scene where she's just been knocked off Ross's to-do list like yeah. that you know him and rachel have this we're allowed to shag them if we happen to p- across them in real life but she's playing herself she's just really funny in it she plays herself and she's like but i'm not on your list and he's like oh it's just a draft but it's laminated <laughs> <laughs> i only really know her from death becomes her because she plays mm. the the mystical possessor of you know eternal youth and she's just really beguiling and fantastic in that role it's like she's terrifying in, in a lot of ways i'm healing um, you <laughs> she's the perfect voice for buffy the hamster because she's it's just so bizarre like she's got her very obvious accent she sounds quite glamorous yeah even though she's a hamster um, and there's just little cute moments where Clearly, like, this is Oscar imagining his hamster having a voice. God knows why it's Isabella Rossellini, but it is. Um, So everything that she says is basically a very coy vocalization of how he's feeling about something. But he's also imagining how the hamster feels. So when she's kind of really high up, you just hear her going, don't look down, don't look down. (laughs) (laughs) It's It's just bizarre and brilliant. Who directed it? It's directed by a guy called Stephen Dunn. It's his directorial debut. That was going to be um, my next question. Is it? Is it yeah. first? I think, yeah, it's his directorial de- debut. He did a, a load of short films before it, and he's kind of moved into TV like everybody is now. Yeah. But he's not directed another feature film, which is a real shame. Isn't it um, brilliant that we're living in a time where when a filmmaker says, I'm going to do some TV now, it's not looked down upon. It's not thought, mm. oh, well, they're... They're in the shit. It's not it, like they've withdrawn, they've failed somehow. It's just, it's it's almost, if a, if a director doesn't have a TV show, that's almost seen in the yeah. same way as when a, a director did have a TV show. Ava DuVernay's just moved into television. David Fincher yes. has taken five years off movies to do television. Yeah, and Spike, but Spike Lee is doing sort of Netflix films. Netflix films, he's, um, he's doing, she's got to have it they're on season two mm. i think of that yeah yeah it's 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 almost a sign of how good you are if you can handle doing tv shows i think yeah follow the money um follow follow the, the money. money i might watch closet monster tonight do and actually this is the thing i was going to say this is the link with uh xavier dolan oh yes is the guy who oscar is infatuated with mm-hmm. he looked really familiar and i was like holy shit that is nicholas from heartbeats and I then Googled who the actor was and I was like, wait a minute, that's, he doesn't list heartbeats on his credits. And it turns out it's actually, it's not Niels Schneider, it's Alioka, Alyosha Schneider, it's his brother. Oh, And they are like dead ringers. They're dead ringers and they're really good at playing the exact same character. (laughs) (laughs) What? Sexy French. Sexy French kind of uh, seemingly bisexual, possibly not you know metrosexual alluring but kind of unattainable that that kind of guy and they, they're just so both really good at playing that guy just described me joshua 
<laughs> so what's that called? That's Closet Monster, and it's directed by Closet Monster. Stephen Dunn. And it's on Amazon Prime in the UK at the moment. Marvellous. My first recommendation is taking us hmm. way back to the 1990s. It is Way back to the 1990s? Way back to the 1990s. It's not that long ago. Come on. Well, it's quite the 90s are back. long. It's quite long ago. But my recommendation yeah. is an old classic. It's Chasing Amy by Kevin Smith. Ah, uh, yes, which we've already done on the podcast. We have when we, we covered all of Kevin Smith's films. But this one really does stick in my mind. It's his third film after the disaster that was More Rats. Even though I like More Rats, it didn't do well <laughs> at the box office. And obviously his first all film over the place. was Clerks. It stars Ben Affleck as Holden McNeil. He's a comic book writer and he's co-created Bluntman and Chronic with his best mate, Banky Edwards, played by Jason Lee. They have a really tight friendship. They're living together. They're working together. But they meet a fellow comic book creator, Alyssa Jones, played by Joey Lauren Adams. And she enters their lives and throws a spanner into the works because Holden falls for Alyssa, regardless of the fact that she is a confirmed self-identifying lesbian. But even so, a romance ensues and that alters the course of all their lives forever. It possibly is, without even knowing it, it's the first ever pansexual movie. It is, yeah, because she turns out to not necessarily be a lesbian. She is uh, open to various other avenues. Yeah, so it's very ahead of its time in in that sense. And it's it's also a really unique opportunity to see two Hollywood stars on the cusp of superstardom. Mm, so what, Ben Affleck? Well, obviously the Affleck. And this is before mm. he was Affleck. He was just Affleck. Was it after Good Will Hunting? That was 97, wasn't it? It was the same it was year. Just before. Just before yeah. Good Will Hunting. So before he had that Oscar win with Matt Damon. And so he before he had ben the big Affleck. Oscar win, before Armageddon, before Pearl Harbor. Mm. So before the the whole J-Lo and Heartthrob. Ben Affleck yes. thing. What was that called? Ba- Baff- what did they used to call them? Jiggly. <laughs> no, yeah. no. When they mixed them together. <laughs> ba- Benlo? Ben- Benefer. Benefer, yes. It? It. Benefer. Yeah. When the whole idea of taking <laughs> couples and merging their names came came into, into, in, into one, play. Into one yeah. weird monstrous being. But in terms of Kevin Smith's career, this is like pure Kevin Smith. It's 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 probably his most adult film because it deals with some really interesting um for, and for him personal issues but in terms of lgbtqi plus it is the first ever pansexual movie so i've only seen it once because i watched it for the kevin smith uh podcast that we did that was episode ago. 37 for that Benek. and now yeah. we're on what 90 100 we're, we're over 100 episodes now whoa we are busy yeah i remember really liking it and especially because um Clerks was such a like a solid um it knew exactly what it was doing. Mm-hmm. It was very um concise and funny and had such a pure vision. And then More Rats was just this almost like a ten steps back situation where it was really frat boy and a bit amateurish and all over the shop. And then when Chasing Amy begins, you immediately feel um that kind of reassuring presence of a director who knows what they're doing. And yes. It, it feels so much more uh, mature in terms of its characters, its plot, 
its ideas. It's laser focused. It is, yeah. But I, I do remember being a bit concerned with the portrayal of of Alyssa Jones because mm-hmm. I was really. I mean, we talked about this in the podcast before, but I mean, I, I remember being concerned because I wanted it to be, I wanted her to be able to have, or I wanted lesbians to be able to have this positive representation. So when it turns out she's not a lesbian, she's pansexual. I was a bit like, oh, but but I didn't really read it as pansexual. I read it more as a man that, you know, that horrible cliche of a man can fix lesbian if only he's hot enough kind of thing. Yeah, and that's um, that's controversy that has kind of, followed the film around for the past 23 years that Mm. it basically one reading of it could be seen that a man has fixed the broken lesbian but you have to remember she goes back essentially to being not with him at the end you know she 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 denies him the chance to have his fantasy played out where she says i'm not your fucking whore yeah but yeah, because she kind of she loses herself slightly in that relationship and you're waiting for her to come back and take some kind of possession of her own story. Kind yes. of thing. But through 2020 eyes, it's it's probably the wokest of all Kevin Smith films. Even the brand new one. Yeah, I would say even the brand new one, even Jane Silent Bob reboot. Because that's that's more of a silly jaunt, isn't it? Well, yeah. it's just more of a a. a, a a kind of a like a rip roaring road trip comedy like mm. mad 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 world and she does come back in the new one in the uh, yeah there is a yeah in fact there's a very sweet like 10 12 minute chasing amy sequel halfway through that film mm. and which is could, really badly shot sadly but yeah, very badly nice shot <laughs> <laughs> but it is really nice that it doesn't undo anything that happens in in the film they're not suddenly together Again, it's a really modern, woke way of continuing the character's arc. Yeah, because they have this understanding now and it's like all that drama that we saw in Chasing Amy in 97 is is water long under the bridge mm. and they are able to be adults in a room together and there's like a, a like an understanding between them and a, a kinship. And a I baby. Suppose, which is quite touching. And a baby, yeah. So that's Chasing Amy, directed by Kevin Smith. Joshua, what's your second recommendation? My second recommendation is moving slightly forward in time, but not far, to the year 2000. (laughs) And it is the Broken Hearts Club, uh, colon, a romantic comedy. Never heard of it. Which is currently... Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, well, that's interesting because I had it on my, um, my watch list on Amazon Prime for ages. And then... I suddenly noticed about three months ago that it was about to leave Prime. So I was like, okay, I, really, I do actually really want to watch this. And the reason I wanted to watch it is because it's directed by Greg Belanti. Oh, uh, he who, of Love, Simon fame. He of Love, Simon fame. And this is his directorial feature debut. He was working on Dawson's Creek at the time mm-hmm. that he wrote and then directed this. And it's it feels older than it is because... Everyone in it is so recognisably 90s. Um, you know, it's it's got a cast of um, up-and-coming stars. Like, it's got Timothy Oliphant, it's got Dean Kane, it's got Zach Braff. Dean Kane, Jesus. Yeah. It's got Justin Theroux, it's got John Marnie, who was the dad in Fraser, who sadly died recently. Oh, um, well, hang on. Dean Kane yeah. was not up-and-coming. He, he'd already had his own 
he was already the lead in a TV show. He was Superman. Yeah, in that's Lois true. He, I think he probably was the most well known. Mm. And it's a, it's a, obviously it being in this list. It's a film about gay men in um, West Hollywood in Los Angeles. It's all about like gay friendships. Yeah. And Dean Cain said that he actually had to fight his agents to to be in this film. Really? Um, he's yeah. He said. I had tremendous pushback. It was like, Dean, I know you love this, but I don't think it's a good idea for you to play a gay character at this point in time. <laughs> and he says, I was very clear. I read a beautiful, hysterical, witty, touching, romantic, fantastic movie, and I wanted to be part of it. So he was one of those, you know, when you read stories about, oh, don't come out, don't do not do yeah. gay roles, that kind of spate, that period, it probably is ongoing now, to be honest, where you're, where talent is sort of taken by the hand by those who seem to know better and told not to do certain things because it will kill their career yeah but he he wanted to do it and he's actually really good in this he plays this really um, handsome charismatic actor which is obviously a bit of a stretch for him Um, but he's that guy on the scene who is very much the the kind of the male he like sleeps around a lot um, he's like the gay version of the guy who sleeps around a lot, but he just does it with men. Okay. Um, the problem arises is that um, the guy, there's a guy called Andrew Keegan, who's, you'd recognize from like 10 Things I Hate About You. Um, and he was in Party of Five. He's like a very pretty Latino actor. And he basically falls for Dean Cain's character, um, even though somebody else in the friendship group actually likes him it's all kind of like it's almost like a gay sex in the city but not in that raucous cackling sort of disgustingly glamorous way it's just about a group of friends in west hollywood and it's just like it's just so ahead of its time it was so refreshing to watch it and just think how did this not have a bigger impact than it did oh i'm looking at the poster for it i do recognize the poster Mm. because the poster doesn't scream this is a gay story at all no it doesn't really scream i want to watch it's almost (laughs) No, it's almost it's almost like the marketing people were ashamed of the fact that it was a gay film. Yes, well, that happens um, quite often. Yeah, so yeah, I just it's it's great. I think it really holds up, and it's 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 hilarious that the conversations that these friends all have are conversations that we still have today. Like it's just like what you know, it, it's not a f- just like just talking about the way people view gay people. Um, types of relationships that that gay men gay people have um and it doesn't focus on coming out or aids or any of that trauma it just focuses on this love between this friendship group so it's like a gay um, dawson's creek like yeah i mean yeah it's pretty much like that to be honest billy porter's yeah. in it yeah who is billy porter he's in pose uh, he plays the mc yeah billy porter's really good in it actually he's really funny definitely gonna add that one to my list so that's broken hearts club a romantic comedy And it's directed by Mm -hmm. Greg Berlanti. My second recommendation is a bit left field in every sense of the word. It's Mulholland Drive, directed by David Lynch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you don't ever really think of that as a gay film, but it completely is. Well, one of the readings, because it's it's got a woman played by Laura Elena Haring, who suffers amnesia after a car crash on Mulholland Drive, which is sort of the main road that winds through the Hollywood Hills. And she sort of stumbles down into L.A. and she takes refuge in a seemingly empty apartment. But Betty, 
played by Naomi Watts, is staying there. She's an aspiring actress and she sort of moved out west with big dreams of becoming a big star. And together mm. they attempt to unravel this mystery of the woman's real name, the big wad of cash that she's got in her purse and a shiny blue key. Mm. I never see this film on LGBTQI plus film lists. But whilst it is yeah. typical of David Lynch's sort of surrealist nightmares and there's aspects that are sort of completely ambiguous and open to interpretation, I see this as a lesbian fantasy movie. About two-thirds of the way into the film, it all sort of folds in on itself and suddenly characters are swapped and sort of motives are changed. And one reading of it is that certain elements are the wild fantasy of a scorned lover who's jealous of her ex-girlfriend's new life mm. you've seen it i've seen it once and i really really enjoyed it but actually i've just flicked onto the mulholland drive uh, wikipedia page and there's a whole section on queer identities that is six huge paragraphs long so clearly mm. there is a lot to um kind of dive into there i loved it i thought Naomi Watts is phenomenal in it. Oh, she's like, brilliant. Isn't there a scene where she has to do an audition and it's the most devastating bit of acting you've ever seen in your life? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's phenomenal. She's always really good in, in everything she does. I remember seeing this. Mm. This was the first David Lynch film I saw in the cinema. Oh, because you were it... only just old enough. <laughs> yeah, and I was only really just into him when this came out in 2001. I... Um, I saw it at the Odeon in Swiss Cottage and weirdly I drove past it <laughs> the other day thinking about the only film I've ever seen there is Mulholland Drive. Mm. It is one of those films that the more you see it, the more you can kind of understand it because when you first see it, it's it's too random, seemingly too random. Mm. But the more you watch it, the more you realise that it does somehow, oddly, in, in a weird way, somehow fit together there is a rhyme and a reason for everything so that's Mulholland Drive directed by David Lynch Joshua what's your third recommendation my third recommendation is a slightly controversial one uh, it is Eurovision Song Contest The Story of Fire Saga directed by David Dobkin it uh, was released on uh, Netflix last week week before it stars Will Ferrell and uh, Rachel McAdams as Icelandic friends slash potential siblings who dream <laughs> <laughs> who dream of um you know competing at the Eurovision Song Contest and um the story is basically just about how that happens um with various problems along the way and you know it's very much a film that embraces the insanity of Eurovision. Um, it's not a perfect film. I think it has a lot of issues that many people have been very happy to point out. Um, but I, for one, just really enjoyed it. Like, it's it's silly and the songs are better than they have any right to be. The songs could win the Eurovision Song Contest. That's <laughs> have how you seen good... it? Yeah, I saw it the day it came out. Oh, brilliant. Same. I think yeah. it's... I think it's fucking hilarious. It's <laughs> Good, about so it's about half an hour too long, but absolutely. they absolutely captured the the unabashed campness and madness 
of the Eurovision Song Contest and the people that take part and the people that watch. Yeah, and then there's like this whole weird side plot where it's um, very stern Icelandic men trying to orchestrate what actually happens um, in terms of the the Icelandic entry, um, which is just bizarre, but actually adds a, a bit of extra campy nonsense. But the LGBT factor is what? Is, uh, well, I mean, it's maybe a slight spoiler, but there is a villainous Russian <laughs> character played by Dan Stevens, uh, who is, he tries to seduce Rachel McAdams's character, and you're not really sure why, because he's clearly gay. Like, the second he performs <laughs> his amazing uh, rehearsal uh, with sort of like four very shirtless, muscular backing singers. Not who just he... shirtless, very shirtless. <laughs> <laughs> well, he kind of has a shirt, but it's open. So he's not yes. very shirtless. He's just They open it for him. His song is called Lion of yeah, Love. Yeah, it's brilliant. And Dan Stevens is getting so much love for this role, deservedly so. Oh, he's having a he's ball doing it. He's having a ball. He's having a gangbang. He's having all of it. Um, he's hilarious and his, his russian accent is perfect and his songs are hilarious um he's weirdly sexy as well even though he's always campus tits you know he always is <laughs> and will ferrell the second his face appeared on screen i was laughing because <laughs> he was wearing that big viking gear and going ha 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 i've got it here actually i've got it here The songs are too good. The songs are better than the film itself. The, the songs are better than... I'll, I'll stop that. Yes, the songs are better yeah. than the uh, the film itself. The film obviously only has 90 minutes worth of comedy stretched out to two hours and two minutes. Yeah. But it almost doesn't matter because Eurovision is always too long itself. You're always looking at your clock going, God, it's, it's really approaching 11 o'clock. I've got to go get the last tube. I hope they hurry up. <laughs> 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 it's a film that, like Eurovision, actively encourages a lot of drinking. Yes, I think it does, and, um, and it's great to see Piers Brosnan not singing. Oh yeah, and there is. You say that the 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 comedy is stretched out thinly, but there is one moment involving a tiny knife and a tiny slamming door <laughs> yeah. that had me howling with laughter. Yeah, just brilliant. Yes, and I couldn't. I, so, when that so when funny. that guy came on screen, I couldn't remember where I saw him. He's from Sex Education. Oh, of course he is. He plays Gillian yeah. Anderson's love interest, the the that plumber effortlessly guy. sexy sort of Scandinavian man. I think he is actually Danish, possibly. And do you know what? Actually, the the final song is I found incredibly moving. Hundred mm. percent. I found it like even now, just talking about it, I get chills. Ah, I have it full blast in the car. It's just brilliant because it's it's like it's what everyone is feeling. Is like my homeland. You know, that that sense of longing, but also hatred. <laughs> um. <laughs> Does it matter that Dan Stevens is a straight man playing a gay character? Oh, it's just that, isn't it? Well, it's yeah. the same with Heartbreaks. The Heart, whatever it's called, Broken Hearts Club, where they're basically all straight men playing gay roles. Um, is that Billy Porter, who is gay as the day is long? Mm, yeah. 
But then, I mean, there's the argument as well that Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams and the director are also American, making yes. a Eurovision song, yeah. and their country is not eligible to even be part <laughs> that of is Eurovision. True. I am, um, but the film plays with that hilariously, where they just take the piss out of Americans to a, a I hate you degree. So I hate you. No, I really hate you. <laughs> Go to Starbucks. <laughs> why is Why is it Arnold Schwarzenegger? <laughs> Get out. Get me a mochaccino. <laughs> Um, I I'm really happy that you've you've recommended that, and you're right. That sort of film is not really the one to have that conversation around. It's just a bit yeah. of frivolous fun. It is deeply racist. It is very homophobic. Yeah. If you want to look at it that way, or it's just very accepting of everyone in a very tongue-in-cheek manner. Yeah, and it's got Graham Norton, who yes. who is the perfect person, obviously because he is the host of the. Um, of the UK version, or like, yeah. what is that? Well, he's like, he's like our MC commentator, right, right, right. And he brings that perfect touch of this is ridiculous, and like he's like, oh god, what now? And, <laughs> Which is not too dissimilar to how he's actually at the actual real event. Yeah, exactly. That's just, the thing. I mean, he's just film... literally playing himself, not a version of himself. Yeah, he is just playing himself. <laughs> he just is grown. It's the easiest job he's ever done. Yeah, it really is. But it's a film that invites you to laugh with it, not. I would kind of invite you to laugh at it slash with it, but not at anybody else apart from who's in the film kind of thing. It's a pure love letter to Eurovision. Yeah. And, and if you're, yeah. you're thinking that Will Ferrell has no connection, his wife is Swedish. And years ago, in fact, it was the 1999 when uh, Charlotte Nielsen won with Take Me to Your Heaven. He was watching that mm. in Sweden. He was like, what is this? This has to be a film. So it's, it's yeah. made from a place of love. So that's Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga, directed by David Dobkin, who did like Wedding Crashes and various other American comedies. My third recommendation is A Single Man, directed by Tom Ford. Oh, I love A Single Man. It's based on the book by Christopher Isherwood, which was released in 1964. The film is set in 1962, about a month after the Cuban Missile Crisis, and it follows a day in the life of George Falconer, who's played by Colin Firth. He's a school teacher who's depressed and he's suicidal after the death of his long-term partner, Jim, played by Matthew Good, about eight months prior. It's an observation piece and through flashbacks, we see his life with Jim. While in the present day, we're witness to his interactions with his best friend, Charlie, who's a rich, lush, played by Julianne Moore with a perfect British accent. And then we also see his infatuation with one of his students, Kenny Porter, played by Nicholas Hort. Yes. It's, it's really a film about sort of finding excitement in life again and having a reason to live. And it's Tom Ford's directorial debut and it's an absolute dream. It is designed and art directed within an inch of its <laughs> life, but his prowess as a visual storyteller is exceptional. He uses colour yeah. and sound to, to so accurately convey George's emotions it's such a gorgeous piece of filmmaking it it is it really is beautiful it's tailored to perfection you might say it's just (laughs) yeah it's just gorgeous and it's you know there's always this this discussion with film about style over substance and and can you have a beautiful film that has emotional resonance and i think that a single man could easily have become all style no substance but um credit to colin firth like he emotes to you know 
volume 11 <laughs> um and you you're there along with him and you feel that crushing grief that he's experiencing this is the film that he was oscar nominated for and didn't win and then he won the next year for the king's speech this is the one he should have won for yeah bizarre it's just fucking typical of the oscars where play a historical person yeah you get an oscar play a intricate interesting gay man nah sorry yeah just typical didn't tom ford then do nocturnal animals yes which is also fantastic it took him a long time it took him like seven years to get a second film made yeah um five seven years long time but he does run his own yeah he does run his own business. Right. He's he, busy. He runs, he's very busy. He's busy. He runs Tom Ford. Yeah. Tom Ford is, <laughs> he is running Tom he Ford. He is and runs. <laughs> he is and runs Tom Ford. I think he's really underappreciated. He's, you know, he's genuinely fantastic. And I think maybe the fact that he is a fashion designer, like a successful, very rich fashion designer, maybe yeah. slightly makes people go a bit, yeah, and like <laughs> yeah whereas people should be going yeah you can but he financed this film himself mm. he financed this film himself sold it to the weinsteins mm. so he's he's a an astute businessman and a brilliant creative and i hope you know i i hope he makes 10 brilliant films and then is mm. is heralded as a a a force in cinema that his legacy mm. is not just about you know, suits with big lapels. I don't know what he's doing next, but I'm intrigued. I, w- I would hope that he would go back to gay stories. Yes. Because he is a gay filmmaker and you kind of want someone high profile to um, to make the, you know, make those stories and, and have that clout, I suppose, in the filmmaking world. I know that he said that he wasn't necessarily making this as a gay story, but... Yeah. I think if you're a if you're a gay man, a famous gay man, adapting a Christopher Isherwood book, how can you not even think that this is gonna be received as a gay story? It is a gay mm. story. Yeah, and should be celebrated as a, as one as well. You know, it's 100%. not it doesn't make it it doesn't make it any less worthy of acclaim. Yeah. So that is a single man directed by Tom Ford. Uh for this Pride special, our fourth recommendations are going to be documentaries so joshua what's your documentary recommendation do you know what actually like there's almost an embarrassment of riches when it comes to gay documentaries so i had a bit of a tough job choosing so what i what i went for is a 1984 documentary called before stonewall Ah. uh, which is directed by greta schiller and robert rosenberg and i went for it purely because two jews oh yeah well that didn't factor into my decision, but I'm glad to support the Jews. Um, <laughs> Jew lives matter. Um, I chose it purely because it was an education for me. Yes. Um, I think that I think that there's almost two sides to being gay. There's the emotional side of it where you're you're sort of discovering things about yourself and it's very much about you um and i think that i reached a point when i think before stonewall was re-released by peccadilla pictures maybe around it's about 10 years ago nine yeah but it was but yeah so it's like you as a gay person you you have the the emotional very personal insular internal 
side of being gay yes but then there's also the larger question of uh, your place in society and how you're treated by society and mm-hmm. how people like you have been treated by society and so before stonewall before watching before stonewall i was completely ignorant about anything because there's no gay education in school i wasn't taught anything about gay history in school or anywhere well we grew up under section 28 so we would not have been it wasn't it wasn't legal you know section 28 is a piece of legislation in the uk that was repealed in 2003 but came in in about 87 88 and it basically said under the local authorities act 1987 i think it was or local councils Mm. Act, the local councils could not use public money to promote the idea that homosexuality was a acceptable and viable family unit that it was a, mm. a normal thing so there was no lgbtqi plus education in school because it was completely outlawed no it was crickets it was it was invisible yeah you know you were you were discounted you were you didn't exist so i came to what i came to before stonewall feeling very strange about it because i was like this is about gay history i didn't know there was any gay history what is stonewall i didn't know what stonewall was i knew there was a charity oh, called really? Stonewall. i didn't know what the hell any of it back was. in the day yeah. when you watched it yeah no idea but there's an idea in 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 lgbt history that it all starts with stonewall but of course that's nonsense mm. because it you know mm-hmm. oscar wilde was dead way before stonewall <laughs> there's 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 yeah. and even things leading up you know, the 20s and 30s, like the Metachine Society that I'm sure that documentary would go into mm. and mm. the efforts that that they, you know, that they did. Yeah. And like the sudden freedoms that lesbian women, lesbians had uh, during like the Second World War when they were basically doing traditionally male jobs mm. in, you know, the Air Force and in various other places and were had a certain amount of freedom to suddenly be who they wanted to be because there were no men um, around because there were no men around and, yeah. and also because there's, there was that weird thing where being a lesbian wasn't seen as a real thing as well so it was made as an educational film like um greta schiller and andrea weiss they founded jezebel productions in 84 and they wanted to focus on creating educational films based on um everyday people and so that's what they did with this and it was educational you know they they achieved that goal is it entertaining um, i think so because the characters in it are are as v- varied and colourful as you would expect of, you know, any real people. Hmm. And I think uh, if you if you enjoy it or you're interested in it, there was Peccadillo Pictures have been doing a sofa club during lockdown where they have gathered filmmakers and to discuss their films. And one of those films is Before Stonewall. So who so is if you want discussing to watch, it? Um, Greta Schiller, Andrea Weiss and Jewel Gomez and yeah it's free on YouTube to watch their hour-long discussion of the film which is fantastic. We will tweet that out. Yes we will. Yes so that's Before Stonewall directed by? Directed by Greta Schiller and Robert Rosenberg. Awesome. My documentary is Maplethorpe Look at the Pictures directed by Randy Barbato and Fenton Bailey. It's from 2016. It tells the story of legendary photographer Robert Maplethorpe. He was a New York-based artistic photographer whose work can sort of roughly be divided into sort of several categories. There's celebrity portraits, flowers, and then explicit S&M and other sexual imagery. (laughs) 
Mm. <laughs> he's got very left field there. He's quite diverse, isn't he? Very diverse. Yeah, he's, he's right diverse, that one. It brings to the <laughs> fore the old question. Is it art or is it porn? Can it be both? Getty Images and the Los Angeles County Museum of Art clearly believe it's art because as the film opens, there's representatives from both meeting to discuss their 2011 joint retrospective. The film then loops back to Maplethorpe's early days and it uses archival footage and images and newly shot interviews with those who knew him best, people like uh, friends like David Crowland, Fran Leibovitz, his brother Edward, Debbie Harry, Debbie Harry, yep, tell the story of how a shy boy ended up becoming one of the 20th century's most renowned art scene photographers. Have you heard of Robert Maplethorpe? I have. I think I saw it when it came out and I really enjoyed it. I don't really have much memory of it because my memory is like Swiss cheese. Um, but I remember finding it fascinating. Do you know his work? Yes, I do. It's great. And it's I like I like the way he is um not you know, it's all about diversity, all of his images are about diversity. He doesn't just focus on one kind of person. No, he exactly. Is very broad in the people that he um photographed and they are beautiful. I was introduced to his work in about 2003 by a university teacher who said to me, "Go and look at Robert Maplethorpe's work." It's in the library, but you'll have to ask to see it because it's under lock and key. Because a lot of it is mm. really very explicit. But the film, mm. it's 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 not fully arse licking. There is a certain amount of sort of showing the warts, especially the way he treated his brother Edward, who is also a photographer. But Robert basically said. I've built up the Maplethorpe name. You're going to have to choose a different name. So Edward reluctantly <laughs> became Edward Maxey. And only in recent years has he reverted back to calling himself Edward Maplethorpe. It also oh, details wow. Robert's insecurities about his place within the New York and the global art scene. He was always questioning, well, why aren't I selling for that amount of money? You know, why aren't mm. I selling Andy Warhol money? And it also talks about his complete disregard for his assistant's health. He used to go into the dark room, give them a couple of lines of coke so they could work longer hours and print more wow. images. And obviously it talks about his his sort of uh, health issues and his death from AIDS yeah. in 1989. It's a really informative documentary. I would have preferred it to be a little bit more um, less arse licky i wanted more of the warts <laughs> because i guess if you're if you're asking the robert maplethorpe foundation can we use these images you can't then turn mm. around and say well actually he was a bit of an asshole but that's almost what makes him interesting is that he was this extreme character yeah who the art came first and people came second in some ways by the sounds of it yeah so... I mean, you often find that with with artists who have the biggest mm -hmm. and most important a legacies. Director. Yeah, they, you know, they do put the yeah, art Christopher first. Nolan. Christopher Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he makes people stand up, doesn't he? No seats. <laughs> Not even for those in wheelchairs. But if, if anyone's looking to learn about photography or late 20th century gay art, queer art, this is a brilliant jumping on point. And where is it available? Well, I've got it 
on iTunes. I bought it, but you can pick up the DVD for cheap, or you can rent it. This for is like, streaming. Yeah, you can you can stream it for like I think like three fifty on iTunes. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 out there. It's not mm. it's not expensive. Watch. That's Maplethorpe. Look at the pictures, directed by Randy Barbato and Fenton Bailey. That was our Pride special number two. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Acast so you don't miss any of our episodes. We are currently in the midst of our series on non-superhero comic book movies, so go check those out. We'll be recording some more of those episodes soon. We're also on Twitter at TornStubsPod, so give us a tweet. Let us know what your recommendations are for LGBTQ plus films. We're off to find the volcanic protector man. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut. <laughs>